theyeshiva.net. Okay, so today is uh, Thursday, April 2, 2020. Ches Nissen Tav the 8th of Nissen, 5,780. I just want you to know that the days have not stopped, they still continue. It's important to remember that. That's why I announced the date. <laughs> Even though sometimes it feels that way. So I'm going to ask you to please open up your Svarim or source sheets. I want to welcome everybody who's here. Virtually, spiritually, emotionally. And uh, if you're here only virtually and not emotionally, please... Uh, I invite you to show up. You can hear me clearly? Everybody can hear? Page Kufay and Dalit. Page Kufay and Dalit. The second paragraph. Alpiza Yuvam. If you don't have a source sheet, you can go to the website, theyeshiva.net. On the top of the homepage, there's a banner which will say Thursday morning. And when you pr- click on it, you'll see the video uh, play button, and you'll also see a source sheet on the top or a PDF on the bottom, and you can open it or download it so you can follow inside. <clears throat> so again, anyone who's watching us, anyway, if you want to follow inside, which is certainly worthwhile, <clears throat> even if you don't understand Hebrew, I translate would be wise to open not the source channel, just make it, a, I think, an easier experience. <clears throat> so after everything we discussed previously, the idea of haste, the idea of <clears throat> the different types of servants, the idea of the different layers of the soul, the idea of the candle versus the sun, the idea of rivers that dry up versus rivers that their flow does not dry up once in seven years. The difference of Leah, Rachel, Shoal, David, the difference of the jug and the horn, the concept of the horn, the Karen, as the corner, and David, Malach, Shoal, Chayvakayim, why Moshe didn't want to go to be the messenger for redemption. He said, Mi Anoichi, I'm not Anoichi. I'm not a Neuchi. You said a Neuchi is going to do it. But the answer is that in order to get to a Neuchi, you have to go through the system, the order, and Moshe Rabbeinu must be the messenger for Geula because that's how it happens. If not, you will never get to the Neuchi. You can't skip. You can't deny the process of the human condition for elevation and uh, transformation. So there has to be the stage of commitment, inspiration, and then transformation, which is Evid Knaini, commitment, Evid Ivri, inspiration, Amma Ivriya, transformation. <clears throat> Just a very brief summation. This is, of course, a very famous verse of Shehashirim. Shehashirim, which has read many, many Jewish communities on Pesach. Many people say it after the Seder, different customs. And there the Pasuk says, it's also a Pasuk from Kiddush Lovana. And you should remember these days, if possible, to make Kiddush Lovana, because not going to Shul, there's no reminder so you should remember to go out after Mayriv and look if there's a moon and do Kiddush Lavana. Still have a few days. So the Pasuk says, The voice of Daidi, my beloved one, is coming, leaping over mountains, jumping over hills. What's the connection? Why the term is used Daidi? Chazal say that this Pasuk is referring to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Pesach is jumping, leaping, right? Pesach Hashem. Hashem jumped. Medalig Allaharim, he was leaping over the mountains. But the term that's used there is not the Shechina, but used there, Doidi, which is the term in Shashirim, my beloved one. 
That's the term for the divine presence. Doidi. Hakanila doidi vidoidi li. Vinyan hu. The Hine Biswada Maksham on Mashakarish Baruch Makayim Kolha Mitzvahs, Maisa Bemitzvahs Yida. There's a big question that's asked, very interesting question in Swadim. The Medrash says, Medrash Rabbah, I think it's Parshal Lamed, the beginning of Medrash Rabbah, Parshal Lamed, that what Hashem tells the Jewish people to do, He does Himself. And we say it every morning. In Pesukah the Zimra, we say from Tehillim, Magid Dvarav LeYakov, Chukov Meshpatov LeYisrael. So our sages say, Magid Dvarav LeYakov means, he says his words to Yaakov. His laws and his statues, Chukov Meshpatov, he communicates to the Jewish people. You have those, what are that's the expression? Do as I say, not as I do. With what he says to do, he does himself. It's his laws also. It's laws for himself. It's not just laws for the Jewish people. The words of the Medrash is, What he does himself, he tells the Jewish people to do. Which in education they call it modeling behavior. You don't just tell people what to do. You do it. And when you do it, it empowers them to do it. They do it, but you also do it first. That's what the matter says. It's a very interesting statement of the sages that it's not, Torah Mitzvah is not something God gave the Jewish people to do. It's like you tell your child, okay, now clean up the house of Pesach for Pesach for 10 hours. That's not the pshat. Torah Mitzvah is something that Hashem, it's God, it's, so to speak, it's God's system of living. And that system that he lives, the Torah Mitzvah he shared with the Jewish people. That's why it says, doesn't say Magid Dvarim Liyakov, Chukim or Mishpatim Liyisrael. Magid Dvarav Liyakov, Chukav or Mishpatav Liyisrael. And because of this, the Gemara in a few places asks, how does Hashem do certain mitzvahs? For example, the Gemara asks in Brachas, what's written in Hashem's Tfilin? Tfilin the Mara Alma Maxiv What type of question, what's written in Hashem's Tfilin? Who said Hashem has Tfilin? The answer is, if we have a mitzvah of tefillin, he also has a mitzvah of tefillin. Because he tells us to do what he himself does. So what does it say in his tefillin? And the Gemara answers in his tefillin, it says, Mi ki Yisrael goy echad Who is like your nation Israel, a unique, singular nation on earth? Rebbe, 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 Rebbe once turned to Hashem, and he said, he said, I don't understand. Even the simplest Jew the simplest Jew, not a great educated tzaddik scholar, Talmud Chacham, his tefillin drops on the floor. What does he do? What does he do? He jumps, he picks it up, and he kisses it. So the Bible says, Father in heaven, your tefillin is on the floor. Your tefillin is on the floor. And your tefillin, it says, Why don't you pick it up and kiss it? He also once said, it was uh, Rosh Hashanah, and he said, if you'll give the Jewish people a good verdict, it's good. And if not, I'm going to have to announce in the whole world that you'd fill an apostle. Because if the Jewish people are not so you'd fill an apostle. What, what, what's, the, what's the basis of this premise? Why would the Gemara say, how does Hashem, what does Hashem have in his tefillin? The answer is, because all the mitzvahs begin in the divine. If so, there's a question. Ma How does Hashem fulfill the mitzvah of Yira? What's Yira? Yira is fear, awe, reverence, trepidation. How can Hashem fulfill the mitzvah of Yira? Who is he afraid? Who is he afraid of? He doesn't ask on Ava. Ava, you could say, it says, Ahafti Eschem Amar Hashem. It says many times in Torah, I love you. May Avas Hashem Eschem. Yeah. Ahafticha Avas Oilam. We say every morning, Avas Oilam, Ahaftanu Hashem Alekeinu, Haboicher Ba'ami Yisrael. Ba'ava, we speak about the love. So we have a mitzvah of love, love of another Jew, love of Hashem. 
and compassion and sensitivity to every living creature. I understand that. And God loves. God also has love. But what about Yireh? It doesn't say anywhere in the Chumash and Taira that God is afraid. God says, I'm afraid. I love you. He doesn't say, I'm afraid of you. So how does Hashem fulfill the mitzvah of Yireh? Interesting question. This is a question that comes from the Maggid of Mizrich. The answer that's given, this is given by the Maggid, the Indian Hayira Kibayach Lamaila Hushayare Shayisra Lo Yizharu Biyira. The Fishakal Bideshamayim Khutzmayira Shamay. The answer is, you know how Hashem fulfills the mitzvah of Yira? You know what he's afraid of? He's afraid of my choice. He's afraid of your choice. He's afraid of my behavior. What does it mean he's afraid? The Gemara says in Brachas, Hakal Everything is in the hands of heaven besides fear of heaven, which means everything is bashert, it's destined. What God wants, he does. He runs the world. I don't run the world. We don't run the world as we have all figured out the last few weeks probably. But it wasn't only the last few weeks. It's been this way for uh, 5,780 years. But one thing I do wrong. What type of person I'm going to be, this is my choice. Every day, every morning. This is called Yerushalayim. And therefore, God is afraid. There's like this trepidation. What is my child going to choose? Like you're looking at your child about to make a faithful choice in life. And yeah, you're scared. You're scared. Because you love them so much, you're deeply connected to them. You're scared. You're feeling this very powerful feeling of year of fear. What are you going to do? What is going to be your choice? Somebody proposes to their uh, potential fiance. They want to get married, and the person says, "I have to think about. It. I have to think about it." Like my wife told me. So that night. You're scared. Why? It's not your choice. You can't force somebody. Yeah. So that's what he says. He's afraid that the Jewish people will not choose Yira. They may say, I don't want you. I'm not interested. And that's Hashem's Yira. That's what he's afraid of. That's what Hashem's Yira is. By the way, it also says, how, is he, how does he observe the mitzvah of Messiris Nefesh? We have a mitzvah of Hashem Certain situations, sacrifice. How does God do Messias Nefesh? Ava, I said, Yira, we just learned how he does Yira. How does he do Messias Nefesh? The answer for this is, the Gemara says, this is a beautiful, beautiful answer, that when a husband and a wife were in a fight, and the husband was very accusatory of his wife engaging in immoral behavior, and she claimed innocence, and no therapy was working, basically. There was no therapy working. And this marriage is about to break up because he's accusing her of the worst. And she maintains innocence. She says, yeah, I like the shmuas, but, you know, don't take it so seriously. So what does God do? He does something very interesting. He says, I'm going to be the therapist. I will be the therapist. People are uncomfortable to speak about the mitzvah of saita because it's a very, it's a que- it's queasy. But I think that they don't understand the beauty of it. God says, I'm the therapist. You come to Yerushalayim. You go to the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? You take a piece of the coin, takes parchment. He writes a parsha from Parshas Nasseh called Parshas Saita. I don't know if you learned Mesech the Saita. Including God's name, the Shema Mephirish. Yeah. And he fills up water from the Beis HaMikdash, from the washing basin, the kir, or from the Mishkan. Takes some earth. And then... Post puts in the parchment with God's name and it dissolves in the water. And the woman drinks the water. And Hashem says, I'm the therapist. I'm the marriage counselor. Okay? If the woman comes out healthy, God says, she's a good wife. She's an innocent, pure person. Now what is the husband going to say? No, I know better. Hashem, the therapist said, this is a good marriage. Go home. Go home and have a good time. Because this guy would not listen to any therapist in the world. So God himself becomes the therapist. And what does God do to be a therapist? 
And this is a good lesson for all therapists and all healers. What does God do? He erases his name. If his name is not erased in the water, he cannot do the therapy. And that's Messiah Snafish. Because erasing Hashem's name is a form of death. That's why it's forbidden. When you take Hashem's name and you erase it, it's not a small thing. The name of Hashem on parchment has div- divinity. It has godliness. And when it gets erased in the water, it's Hashem's mysterious nefesh to make peace between couples. So we have Ahava, we have mysterious nefesh, we have Yira. Val Yirik Siv, on Yira it says, Moshe says in Ekev, God says, I wish that their heart will always remain in this state of awe from me. And this is where Hashem is Mekayim Yiris Hashem. That the Jewish people shouldn't fall away from this state of awe, from this deep relationship of, of reverence, of respect, of awe. Of Yiris Hashem. This is Hashem's biggest fear. Hashem's biggest fear is my fear that I'm going to lose you. My fear that you're going to choose not to be with me today. That's a fear. And that's how Hashem fulfills the midst of Yiris Hashem. That's why it's the same is true with haste. The same is true with chipazan, with haste. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with him. It doesn't begin with my haste, with your haste. Chipazan, we have to rush. We spoke earlier what rushing means. It begins with his chipazan. The main chipazan is not down here. It starts in malchus, which is a godly energy. The chipazan l'mayla is that this should be a flow of energy without the nurture of the chitzayim, without it allowing for toxic forces to glean from it. As we, as we will understand so. For furthermore, you could say the So therefore, who's medalek doidi the shechina doidim bechlal who bevav hey who bezeshayechinike. The biyudhe ene shayechi nike, or bevove shayechi nike, or memele gambeza shayechi pozen, or mshumze shayech doidi lishchim. The word for doidi in Hashem's name is yudke and is vovke. Yud is chachma, he is bina, vov is midis, and the last he is malchus, which we explain different times what that means. We're not going to get it now to those details. So he says, in vov he, there could be the nurture of alien forces, of parasites. Viruses can attach themselves to those host cells spiritually. In Yudhei, Yudhei, there's no, no parasites can attach itself to Yudhei. So therefore, in Vavhei, which is also called Zah, Midas, Midas and Malchus, over there you need haste. Remember, why do you have to run? You always have to run when there's a threat, when there's something inside of you that can grab you and bring you back to Egypt, something outside or inside. The Jews left Egypt, but Egypt did not leave them, so they had to run. Spiritually speaking, the level of divinity that's expressed in Vav Hey needs the experience of Chipazan, which is represented by Doidi, called Doidi, he leaps over the mountains. Alpiza, Yuvan Mashakasav, Achaltam, Pesach, who? This is why the Pesach says in Boy, you should eat the carbon Pesach in haste, because it's a Pesach lahavaya. Behind Because the Pesach is connected, not only to Yudke, but also to Vavke, because there's different levels of liberation. Since it's Lahavaya, we're still trying to get to Yutke. Li Yutke. You're still trying to get to Yutke, so therefore, you need a Chippazin. And that's why the Torah says, 
Masnechem Chagurim, Naalechem Beraglechem, Umakelchem Beyadchem. He says you have to eat the carbon Pesach with three ways. This is a Parsha's boy. Your loins, Masnechem, have to be girdled. Your shoes have to be on your feet. And your stick has to be in your hand. Which physically represents we're ready to go. We're ready for the march. We're ready for the parade. We're ready for the hike. We're ready for the voyage. When the loins are girdled, people would girdle their loins. They have to put on a belt, a gartel, right? Like uh, we learned uh, yesterday about Mosnayim, Leia and, and Rachel, because you're going. You're going on a, on a journey, a long journey. You girdle, you girdle yourself. We say every morning, Baruch Atah Hashem, Oizer Yisrael Bigvura. What does that mean? He girdles Yisrael with vigor, with strength. Oizer is a girdle, a chagura, a gartel. The next thing is, What's the next thing? You'd have to have your shoes on your feet. When you're going on a, on, a, on a march, you're leaving your house, you're going on a long journey, this would be 40 years, you have to have shoes, you can't go barefoot. The third thing is, you stick in the hand. You take a walking stick, this is how they should eat the carbon basic. In other words, there is this anticipation, even though they weren't going, they had to stay all night in the house. But again, as we spoke earlier, the chipozen was an essential component of the experience of the first Seder. Why? They weren't actually in a rush. As I told you, they did not leave all night. They had to remain quarantined in their home. You're going to leave tomorrow. You'll take this stick tomorrow. No. When you eat the Karim Pesach, it has to be in haste. And the haste is expressed in these three things. Girdling the loins, shoes on the feet, and sticks in the hands. Why? The Chol Gimel in Yom all these three things represent, they help, they, they, they allow for the haste. Why? What does this mean in life? 845-777-4747. I'll continue, but I'll just take the few questions I see. Okay. Girded, not girdled. Thank you. Thank you. Girded, not girdled. I, sa- I stand corrected. Ultimately, Hashem knows what choices we will make. So what is he afraid of? Fear in this case only applies to the unknown. It's a good question. Good question. He really doesn't know what our choice will be, individually and collectively. Hard to believe, given when we learn about who he is, infinite, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent. The examples given of how Hashem fulfills the mitzvahs He gives us to do were all about intellectual or emotional matters. How does Hashem fulfill mezuzah, bris, pidin haben, tefillin, tzitzis, mikvah? Okay, good, good questions, good questions. But I'm not going to answer these questions. Now they're very, very deep questions. You say, if He knows, why would He fear? That's a very big question, a bigger question. If he knows, how is there free choice? How could there be free choice if he knows? You don't even have choice. Because if he knows, and he's not mistaken, so then he knows what you're going to do. If he knows what you're going to do, so then whatever you do was already determined previously. Because, why? Because if God could be mistaken, so then he's not God. And if God knows for sure what you're going to do, so then... I have to do it, so I have no choice. And if you say he doesn't know what you're going to do, so then we have another problem. This is a very famous question, and it basically is connected to your question. I once gave a uh, a four-series class on this. How do we have free choice if God knows? It's on the yeshiva.net. You could type in free choice. It'll probably come up, and you could learn more about this. It's just a whole sugi of yidi and b'chidu, but uh, it's, 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 it's a big sugya. The two things I'm going to say now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really give it only one minute because it's a whole, it deserves a whole separate shir. And many shirim is, the Rambam asks this question. Many Rishonim ask this question. I'm just going to say two very fast things about it, and literally each one 30 seconds. One perspective is more philosophical, and that is God's knowledge of the future is not because there's no choice and therefore there's no fear. 
It's because for God, it's as though the future happened already. So it's not that he knows the future before you do it. It's he knows what you chose. Because it happens to be, imagine I could see the future now. So I could see your choices tomorrow. My knowledge doesn't dictate your choice. My knowledge is simply the ability to look at things from a bird's eye view. Imagine time is like a river, okay? Past, present, future. And I could see the whole river. I'm not in the river. I could see the whole river. So I could see the water tomorrow. So God's knowledge of it is not because he dictates what you're going to do. It's because for him, it's like the future happened already. And therefore, there is the unknown, not in the sense that he doesn't know because he knows the future, but there's the sense that you still have complete choice. And because you still have complete choice, there is a sense of, 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 of trepidation or reverence or a certain type of fear. That's number one. Number two, the Baal Shem Tev said, and this is very, very profound, the Baal Shem Tev said that God's choice is infinite. I'm sorry, God's knowledge is infinite. But the Baal Shem Tev said, this is incredibly profound, God's love is more infinite. And his love for a relationship suppressed his knowledge of the future. And because of that, we have free choice. And because of that, there is fear. In terms of physical mitzvahs, obviously it doesn't mean he eats matzah, crunchy matzah. You know, God is not a physical being. But matzah represents something. Tefillin represents something. So everything that these mitzvahs represent, bris milah, pidyan haben, everything, everything that it represents exists in the divine. 845-777-4747. You could text your questions and I appreciate Yes. What are the three things that represent haste? When somebody is running, he places a belt. He girds his loins. Why? So he should be able to run easier. It keeps the body and the physique in shape, tight, strong, focused, Organized, the bones are uh, are cohesive, and the structure of the human body is in a in a uh, in a position. What's the word I'm looking for? In a um, okay, maybe somebody will text it, but I'm looking for a word. You're in the position of where you could run. You know, somebody is running a marathon. Somebody is going for a jog, or somebody is going to a run. Somebody is going to war. Somebody is going for a serious uh, uh, wrestling match. Or workout, so you gird you you gird loins, and it gives you the strength and the easy, it's easier to run. That's why you say Why do you have shoes? Also to run. If you go without shoes, you could trip or stumble or get hurt on the pegs that protrude during the in the paths. Which means any stumbling block, whatever it is, a rock or a pebble. Or, 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 or wetness, or dirt, or filth, or you say this, or things sticking out, you don't want to stumble, so the shoes protect you. Without that, it's going to slow down your uh, your movement. Why a stick? There were the sticks that they used, like people go skiing. Why do some people use sticks? So other situations, you go on a heavy hike, and you have a stick. Again, it was for support. So this gives the person more strength, more support. And therefore you have these three things also spiritually in a person's life. They help a human being's chipaz. What does it mean? We say in Eishashchaya, We speak about the woman of valor Friday night from the end of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, 31, she girdles, she, I'm sorry, she girds her loins with eyes, with vigor, with strength. So she uh, she fastens her masnayim, her thighs with eyes. The masnayim, 
Masnayim, it says in Svarim, in Tanya, Geris HaKodesh, there's a whole letter about this, the first one, Simon Aleph in Tanya, of Geris HaKodesh. Masnayim represents Amunah. Why? What are Masnayim? Masnayim are the thighs, the loins that hold up the body and the torso and the head, and they allow you to have an erect stature. They're like the pillars, the pillars. You know, it reminds you of like elephant. You ever see the elephant, uh, elephant legs? They're pillars. They're powerful like the trunk of a tree. It's the foundation, the pillar, literally the pillars in a building. A human being has those two pillars. They're called masnayim, the loins. Chagra ba'oiz masna means you have to make sure that they're girded with vigor and strength. They hold up the rest of the body, the head and the torso and the top of the body, and they allow you also to get to your destination. So he says, what is that in a Jewish life? That's called emuna. Emuna ma'imidas kol ha'guf, Emuna holds up the body like the feet hold up the head. Emuna is the pillar of Jewish life. There is the head. The head is understanding, awareness, reflection, meditation, mindfulness, learning, cognition. There is the arms, the torso represents love and awe, etc. But what's the pillar that holds it up? The pillar is Amunah. And what is Amunah? Amunah means the deep awareness that there are horizons beyond the horizon that I see. Amunah is not like some people think, an opium for the masses. A person is weak and he can't use his brain. He doesn't understand or he's lazy. So therefore he believes. Amunah is actually a very profound quality and skill that is not afraid of intellect. It's actually the foundation of intellect. Because what Amunah does is Amunah is the openness that there are infinite horizons yet to explore beyond the horizon that my eyes can observe the present moment. And that's why it's the foundation. It holds up the life of the person. Because life, for life to be meaningful and inspiring, one needs that type of re- that type of conviction, that type of awareness. Take a situation like now. There's a classic example for this. It's so confusing. It's so uncertain. You can have the greatest mind in the world and be the greatest genius of the world. But it doesn't help you. Yes, Scientists are using their minds to try to figure out medicines and vaccinations and and understanding how to curtail and how to curb and people are trying hard and doing their best. But when there's such a uh, powerful ruckus in the entire planet, what holds up a person? What's like the pillar? The pillar may be invisible. You don't always see a pillar. There could be a subterranean pillar. But those are the Masnayim. That is Emunah. Amunah is that profound awareness that there is much more to reality than what my eye can see. There is purpose, meaning, in ways that I may not be able to wrap my brain around. In fact, my brain may shut down. It, I, I can't deal with it. It's surreal. This is what Amunah means. And it's a very powerful idea. This is Masnayim. This is the pillar of the body. Okamashikasav Tuv. We say before Tkiyas Shoifer, seven psukim. One of them is from Tehillim chapter 119. Tuv, the goodness, tam, of the flavor, and das, perception, teach me, because I believed in your mitzvahs. How do you make sense of this possible? Teach me the goodness and the flavor of life, Teach me the goodness, the geschmack, and das, give me das, perception, knowledge, because I have a muna, because it's a pillar. When you have the pillar, it adds to the lamdeni, it adds to the mind. Nobody's going to say, oh, you know who needs thighs, you know who needs feet to hold them up, you know who needs legs and loins? People who are who need opium, people who can't, their heads are not smart. Lazy morons need loins to hold them up. But once you become sophisticated enough, you can amputate your legs. No, that's a ridiculous thing to say. On the contrary, 
The point of the loins is not to weaken your head. It's that your head could stand up tall and high and can go where it wants to go. And Munna is never here to dull intellect. This is I, We spoke a few times about this. There's a type of a Munna that is like cultish. It's here to, to uh, remove human responsibility, destroy creativity, uh, doesn't alike when people have real conversations. And we call it a Munna. That's not a Munna. It's intellectual laziness or absurdity. Real amuna always enhances intellect. It never destroys intellect. But it's the foundation that holds up the entire Rosh. And it allows the Rosh to maximize its potentials, but it knows that even the head needs a foundation. Rosh is Chachma, Yir is Hashem. Tuv, Tam, Vadas, Lamdein, Ikim, Mitzvah, but Amunna could be primitive. It could be superficial. The Gemara says in Brachas that a thief about to go into the tunnel that he dug to get into your home from the basement through the tunnels on bottom of your home, he calls out to God to Davin. You ever notice this pattern the Gemara describes? A thief, right before he's about to break in, what does he do? He meditates for a moment, and he says, God, please help me. <laughs> God, please help me. Before you go to do a gneva, you ask Hashem for help. What does this mean? If you're asking Hashem for help, so why are you stealing? He told you not to steal. So you say he doesn't really believe. No, he says he does believe. And I'll prove it to you he believes. He doesn't say a prayer to Queen Elizabeth in England. He doesn't say a prayer to Donald Trump. He doesn't say a prayer to uh, any other leader. He doesn't say a prayer to anybody, only to Hashem. He believes. But the Amunna is makif. It's not pnimi. It's not internalized. It's not authentic. It doesn't really permeate him. It doesn't change his behavior. It's there and it's real, but it's called makif. Makif means it's not. It's, it's unconscious or more. It's... It's around him, it's not inside of him. It's above him, it's not inside of him. He doesn't take it to the bank. Amunna is not something that's real. He doesn't live by it. It's a, it's a nice idea in a time of crisis. God help me. But tachlis, I got to pay my bills. How do you pay your bills? I still, like somebody once said in Yiddish, Kinderlach, as if it nicht ganvenen, but nicht haben. My kids, if you're not going to steal, you're not going to have. That's his philosophy. I need to steal. I... Emuna, yeah, I'm going to dive into Hashem before I steal. I'm even going to promise him 30% for tzedakah. You know those people? I'll steal and then I give 30% for tzedakah. I have Emuna. This is called Emuna Bekatnos. The Emuna is primitive. It's not real. That's why your Masnayim need oiz. They need to be girded with strength. The Enoiz, the Gemara, the Mishnah says, Enoiz, the Chazal say, Enoiz, the Torah. Toida girds, it hastens, it gives a strength to the Masnayim. This is primarily because Toida Shabalpeh reveals God's will. Tereshe B'Ksav is higher than Tereshe B'Alpeh. But you can't know Hashem's will from it because it's cryptic. Where does Hashem's will come out? In Tereshe B'Alpeh. Tereshe B'Alpeh means Mishnah, Gemara, Halach, etc. When a Jew learns Tereshe B'Alpeh, it's Mechazek Emunah. Oiz is Tereshe. Chagra Ba'oiz Masnah. How do you gird your masnayim with oiz? What's oiz? Oiz is his Torah And that gives chizuk to amuna. And it's a fascinating idea because it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive because you would think, what's the connection? But the truth is, this is a fact when you're open to this. When a Jew learns a blat gemara, it's mechazek amuna. A Jew learns a mishnah, you learn Torah it's mechazek amuna. This doesn't speak about amuna. Why? Because it's actually a manifestation of the divine will. 
This is uh, based on what it's explained in Tanya, Nigeri Sakaidish chapter 1, where he elaborates on this a lot. So it gives you access to Hashem's Ratzin, which is beyond Chachmah. Because Torah is not just his Seichel, it's his Ratzin coming out through Seichel. Like we learned in the Maimur of Purim and Torah Ur, that Torah is a marshal for Chachmah Ilah, but Chachmah Ilah is a marshal for Ein Soi, for Ratzin, Kesser. On this we make a special bracha. That Hashem fastens and He girds the Jewish people with gvura. So He places a girdle on them, so to speak. What's this? What's their girdle? What's their chagura? What's their belt? What's their gartel? It's gvura. It's this eyes. The ability for Gvura to be able to conquer Yitzhahara during the day. This is the Bracha Ezi Yisrael B'Gvura. V'hine Amr Razal Be'ezus Chus Nigal Ovesenim Mitzrayim B'schus Ha'amunah Shnema V'yamina Chazal say that the merit that let the Jewish people leave Egypt was Amunah. It says the Jews believed, the nation believed, the Parshish Shmois. Achliyoy Shemuni Be'katnos Alze Omar Masneichem Chagudim Shetzorachliyus Chizuk Ha'amunah but at this stage, when you're leaving Mitzrayim, there's a Muna. But the Muna could still be not real. It's not authentic. So you need Masnechem Chagurim. Take your Masnayim and give them the vigor and the strength that they need to gird your loins. Meaning, Oyza Yisrael Begvura, you need that Chagurim, Masnechem Chagurim, that the Muna should be real in order to be able to leave Egypt. Every Jew has a Muna. There's no question. But the Amunah may be not accessed. It may not be conscious. Like we learned before about the Evet Knaini, that he has a commitment because he's in touch with the Makif of Chayi Yechida. If you want to go out of Egypt, you need to get in touch with your Makif. You need to get in touch with your Amunah. And then you can go out of your own Mitzrayim. You can go out, you can go out of your brokenness. This is the first step in Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. The person has to be able to access their power of Amunah. And again, what is Amunah? Amunah is the deep awareness in the infinity of life, in the infinity of the world, the infinity of God, and therefore in the infinity of yourself, which is part of the divine. That's the first step. This is going to be mystical language. The Arizal says, Kabbalistic language, there is a garment called Chashmal, Chashmal from Ezekiel's vision. Today they call Chashmal electricity, but Chashmal comes from Yechesko. It encompasses Za and Nukva, which is Midas and Malchus from their sides and under their feet, protecting that the parasites shouldn't get nurture from it. What does this mean in Avoidus Hashem? Who inyan mitzvahs maisius, the naal hubasia. The shoe represents the lowest level of engagement, which is action. Practical mitzvahs. In Avoidus Hashem, it's the actual physical mitzvahs that protect the person from parasites nurturing. There's the first step is Amuna. The second step is mitzvahs maisius. This is all talking about how do you liberate yourself. On the night of Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim, you need the haste. The haste requires your amunah should be powerful and nothing should deter you. Number two, a person has to live in a practical way according to the guidelines of Shulchan Aruch. That's called mitzvahs maisius. Behavior defines your freedom. Mitzvahs maisius. I choose... Shoes seem insignificant. It's all the way on the bottom. It's not significant, but that protects you. The shoes are that which protect your body from falling and getting stuck. Why do shoes protect you? They're all the way on the bottom. They're not significant. When you take off your shoes, you're going to get hurt. The mitzvahs maisius are like the, the shield and the gear that protects the human being in a world that can be very confusing. The Medrash Rabbi says that the derech, when you have a dog, you train him with a stick. It doesn't mean you should hit your dog. 
but it means you pick up the staff to train the dog. So why do Jews need a stick? This is the concept of picking up a stick on a certain part of yourself. The Gemara says a person has to know always how to yargiz adam yetzer toiv al yetzahar. You have to know how to be able to pick up a stick on the yetzahar. The lepa'amim tzadich liyas ha'argaza. Sometimes you have to get breigas on it. You have to show it a stick. Kemo, you have to sometimes say to your brokenness and to yetzahar, atara, you're broken, meshukets, you're despicable, metuav, you're abominable, and menuvel, you're filthy, and I'm not going to go there. You need these three things for chipazim. You hear Yitayfus what he's saying here. There's three. This is a blueprint. Yeah. There's a blueprint for every addict. This is a blueprint for every person who's not an addict. This is a person for every, it's a blueprint for every person who lives in their Mitzrayim. What does it mean you, I live in Mitzrayim? I live in a reality that is conflicting. A reality that often enslaves me, that drives me crazy, that causes me anxiety, it causes me stress, it causes my habits and my behavior often to be alien to who I really am. And I want to leave my Mitzrayim. I'm an Evet Knaini. And what I need at that moment is I have to go in haste. And we explained at length what haste is. But now there's three steps. And without these three steps, it's going to be very hard to leave. One is that to gird their loins. That to place a girdle on their loins. What does this mean? It means you have to, you have to, be mechazek, you have to strengthen your masnayim. What are the masnayim? What holds up the head and the whole body? It's internalizing emuna. Number one. Number two, you need shoes. You must have shoes in life. You have to put on shoes. Number three, you need a stick. You must have a stick. What are these three things? The first is, emuna means that I have to be able to connect to that part in me which is filled with faith and filled with trust. Faith in what? Faith in whom? Faith in my wholeness. Faith in my wholeness. Faith in the wholeness of the world. Faith in the wholeness of God. Faith in my infinity. Because if I don't have that in a real way, if my amunah remains superficial, I'm going to go steal and ask God to help me. I'm going to go for a drink, or I'm going to go back to my websites, or I'll go back to my addiction, I'll say, God, please help me. Person needs the amuna in a real way to be able to guide their life. The second thing is, you need shoes. I have to change my behavior. It's about behavior. What I do, what I say. It's not just about feelings and emotions. You could live all day in therapy with your emotions. It's about behavior. What he calls here, shoes, mitzvahs, maizis. That will bring you into a world and actually protect you. It will take you away. It will protect you from boulders, from rocks, from pegs, from dirt, from ditches, from caves. That's behavior. The third thing is you must have a stick. And what's the stick for? There's a part of you that needs a stick. The part of you you can't argue with. You have to show it a stick. Because when you're in a state of enslavement or addiction or toxicity, and who's not... You can't intellectually argue and say, you're wrong, I'm not, it's like this. It's going to kill you. It's going to win you through its arguments. It wants you entangled in an endless debate. You show it a stick. You don't argue with the dog. The dog doesn't come, ashtekin. You have to be able to look at a certain part of you and say, you're broken. You're traumatized. You want me to go to dirty places. You want me to go to filthy places. And I really can't define myself by it. You have to put it in its place. You have to take a stick and speak to a certain part of you, sometimes sharply. What does it mean sharply? Sharply doesn't mean you deny it. But sharply means you identify it for what it is. And what is it? 
It's forces that are literally trying to alienate you from yourself. Do not worship them. Now, you have to have compassion. You have to have compassion because it's part of your condition. You don't get angry and stressed out that they exist, but you have to be honest with what they are and what they represent. Because if not, I'll fall prey to it. And I have to say, going to these voices, going to this place, is going into a place of serious, serious brokenness, of serious, serious alienation. I'm not going to do it. So you have to ask yourself a question. Are my loins fastened and ready to go? Do I have shoes and do I have a stick? Those are the three qualities that allow for the chiposin in life. It allows you to extricate yourself from Mitzrayim and leave in the rush. And there has to be a rush because we're still on the level of Evet Knaini or even before that, I'm still in Egypt. So these are the three things that I need. If I'm not ready to challenge my behavior, nothing is going to help. That's shoes. Now, all the way on the bottom. All the way on the bottom. It's the most physical part of the body. The feet touch the shoes, which touches the earth. It touches the ground. You would think that shoes are not significant, right? But we all know that shoes are very important. And then there is, of course, the amuna, and there is the stick. Those three things. What you said earlier, how can something be more infinite than something that is already infinite? Knowledge versus love. That's infinite versus infinite. No. Good question. The answer, I'm also going to say very brief. I don't know if I can answer it, but just one perspective. And that is, God's infinity is, so to speak, his natural state. God's love is a choice. And choices are deeper than your natural state. When men wore tunics, like a dress, girding men to take a belt and tie up the hanging part to be more like pants so they could run without tripping. Thank you. Yes, yes, very well. They had like longer dresses, so they would get stuck and trip if they would run, and therefore they had to tie it up to themselves. They had to tie, they had to tie up the hanging part to their body. Very good. Very good. Regardless of how he knows, why would his fear even enter the picture? He knows whether before or after because he can see beyond space and time. You're right. You're right. According to the first explanation, he knows. But why does he know? He knows not because his knowledge forces your behavior. He knows because he sees the future. So because he sees the future, he knows. But because it's your choice, it's your choice. So there's always that sense of that sense of not question in terms of curiosity, but in terms of a deep uh, a deep uh, fear of what you're going to choose. That's what it means. Not fear because I don't know. I may know, but there's like a certain pain. There's a certain component of of what's go- what's what's going to happen. Again, not because of uncertainty but because of how meaningful it is. Mashenken, kuf ayin hei, the line starts, shehein. Mashenken lo'asid lovi, she is barer hara betachlis. Lo'asid lovi in the future, at the end of Galus, when Mashiach comes, the ra will be refined. Az lo'yiyachipazim, there won't be haste. You won't need these three things. You won't need these three things because of chipozen. You're going to have these three things in a different way, but not because of chipozen. You can have the same three things, but for different purposes. This explains an enigmatic expression in Chumash. It says, This is how you should eat it. In Tanakh, we have three expressions. Zeh, Zeh HaDover HaShet Tziv HaShem, Koi, Koi Amar HaShem, and Kocha. Zeh Hu Gilui. Zeh is revelation. Pchines Gilui HaMohus, the essence is revealed. Ashtaklar Yaha Meir. There's a clear vision. 
Koi means it's about, it's the concealed. The essence is concealed, and you only see a ray. It's called aspaklaya she'enemir. You're looking through a lens that doesn't give you the full, full presence, the full picture. So ze is like you could see it, and you say, this is it. Koi, says koi amar Hashem, says all the Nevi'im prophesies with koi. Moshe prophesies with that ze, because ze is, you can see the essence. Koi is like approximate. Koi, so God said. It's like a reflection. The reflection. It's like when we see something, do we actually see it? No. It's the light that the object gives off, and therefore it allows us to see it. So that's called koi. That's very unique. Ze is very unique. Ze is Moshe Rabbeinu's level where you get in touch with the essence. It's like what we spoke about, the difference of seeing something for what it is and seeing something the way it affects you. When we see things, it's our interpretation. That's koi. It's real, but it's called koi. And then there's zeh. Kacha uhelem behestabiyosu. Kacha is not only koi, it's kacha. Like you say in Hebrew, kacha zeh. Yeah, so there's zeh, there's koi, and there's kacha. Kacha is even more concerned. The word kacha you're going to find in the later prophets. For example, Esther, in Megillus Esther, you have the kacha. Because it was Shusha. Shusha, the Gemara says, is part of Elam. Elam comes from the word Helam. Galula Elam. Elam, they say, is Persia, but Elam is the word Helam. There were terrible concealments. In terrible concealments, you say kacha. There's zeh, koi, and kacha. Suddenly in Chumash, by the carbon Pesach, it says, not koi, but kacha. Because when they left Egypt, the brokenness was still very intense. The Jewish people were still enslaved very, very deeply. What does this mean emotionally? It means that I'm often in a state where I have so many voices and thoughts and emotions and experiences and inner dimensions that keep me very enslaved. And that's why God says, do you think you can't be free? You could be free, but you have to learn how to run. You have to learn chipazan. V'kacha toich said The word is v'kacha. V'kacha means I know there's concealments. I know there's bad habits. I know there's addiction. I know there's fear and anxiety and stress and trauma and abuse and pain and whatever adjective you want to use. I know it. And in those concealments, v'kacha, just like in the time of Esther, despite the terrible concealments, they managed to emerge because of their conviction. You too have the ability to go out of Egypt, but you need three things. You need to have emunah. You need to have strong emunah. You must have that. You must have that in a very profound way. It's not about intellectualism. It's not even about feeling it. It's the inner conviction, the inner awareness of emunah. Number two, you need shoes. You need to be able to protect yourself in the real world through practical behavioral patterns that are that promote wholeness. We call it mitzvah smaisius. And number three, you must have a stick. You must have a stick to be able to lift up the stick and tell all your Egyptian qualities, the para inside of you, the addiction inside of you, Tell it, you're a disease. I have compassion, but I'm not going to call you healthy. The moment, if you could tell your disease, you're a disease, you'll be free. If you can't tell it you're a disease, you won't be free because it's going to become part of you. In other words, you're allowed to have a hundred thousand, in the meditation earlier that my Shazev spoke about, you can have thousands of voices that are completely, completely overtaking your life. And there's one little still voice of a little cute child that is much deeper at your core, but you don't hear it. If you don't have a stick and you look at all the voices and you say, listen, I know 
This is my trauma speaking, and you guys are very loud. You need attention. I got you. I got you. But I'm not going to turn you into my king. Call a spade a spade. Pun intended. Call a spade a spade. Or call a spit a spit. Or call a stick a stick. That stick and the shoes and the and the belt allow for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is Chippazim. Then there's La'asid Lavai. There's Mashiach. The, the, the final goal of Imhera, over there there's a whole different quality in life. A whole different quality because of the transformation of reality. Okay, my dear friends, uh, let me just take any questions. For me, I have to ask the, the following question. Am I holding the stick because I want to force myself to please others? Or am I doing it to direct myself to do what is really good for me? Excellent. The stick is not for others. (laughs) And the stick is not to please others. The stick is the ability to speak with confidence. A stick represents confidence, strength. He doesn't mean you should take a stick and become a masochist and start whipping yourself with a stick. He means take a stick to be able to speak to yourself unambiguously with confidence. If I could say to myself, this is my disease speaking. This is my addiction speaking. This is my fear speaking. This is my childhood uh, difficulty speaking. This is my mental illness speaking. That's where freedom begins. Freedom is not always in disassociation. But if I can have a stick and say, you are a demon. I have compassion for me and for you. You, I know, I, we didn't choose this, but I'm not going to turn you into a healthy a healthy uh, guide. You're not my tour guide. I'll give you a, a very simple example. You're driving a car. You have somebody in the car who is challenged in many ways. They know nothing about the road, but they're telling you how to go. They're telling you, take a light, go here, take a right, take a left. What do you do? You tell them, listen, listen, I'm the driver, <laughs> And I will decide where to go. You are incapable of making these decisions. You have to tell that to yourself. The moment you can do that, that's called a stick. You could be a free person. You need the stick, but don't use it to hit yourself. When Moshe Rabbeinu saw the burning bush, Hashem told him to take off his shoes and also gave him a staff. Is there a relation on what you're teaching us about leaving from Egypt? Of course, there's a relationship. It's a whole separate subject. He told me he had to take off his shoes at this moment because whenever you're in touch, what what are shoes? What are shoes? Why do we wear shoes? You go into a shower to the mikveh. You go into a shower, you don't take shoes, right? You go into bed, you don't take shoes. You go outside in the street, you take shoes. Why? Shoes means that we're interacting with dirt. We're interacting with filth, with garbage, with rocks, with pavements, with pebbles, with boulders, with nails, with uh, pieces of wood. So you need shoes to protect you. Shoes means you're interacting with a difficult world. If I don't have any dirt in me, I don't need shoes. Moshe Rabbeinu in front of the burning bush, God says, take off your shoes. In the Beis Hamikdash, the Kayanim were not allowed to wear shoes. They had to go barefoot. Why? Because when you're in a place of holiness, don't wear shoes. Don't create an interruption. Don't create a mechitza. Don't create a chatzitza. You don't go into a shower with shoes. You want to be fully there. But when you're in the outer world where you could fall and you could hurt yourself, you need shoes. You get the point. When you're in a place of purity, then shoes become a prohibition. Then you have to take off your shoes. Because if you wear your shoes, it means you're not ready to fully experience it. There have to be times in life where you throw off your shoes. This is sacred soil on sacred soil. You take off your shoes. When you're in a place of Kedusha, take off your shoes. Very interesting thing. By Chalitza, you know the halachas of Chalitza, right? We'll finish with this. When there's a brother-in-law, somebody dies childless, Rahman al-Islam, the wife marries, is obligated to marry her husband's brother, the deceased man's brother. If he wants and she wants, if they don't want, uh, there's something called chalitza. What's chalitza? Chalitza is one of the presents. She takes off his shoe. She takes off the shoe. Thank you. What's the idea? What's the idea? 
Yibum, you know what Yibum is? Yibum is you marry his brother and you have children and the soul of the brother is perpetuated through the new family. So the soul continues to live in this world through the widow's marriage with the brother. What's Chalitza? Chalitza is you take off the shoe. There's no interaction anymore of the soul with this world. You take off the shoe. Why do you take off the shoe? Because you let the brother's soul just go back to heaven. And you're not bringing it down. That's what Chalitza is. Chalitza. What do we say on Shabbos? Ritzei. What's the next word? Vahachalitzeinu. Literally, it means rescue us. But it says, in Chesedus, it says, Machzedek writes, Chalitzeinu is from the word Chalitza. On Shabbos, God takes off the shoes. What does he say here? What are shoes? Shoes, the Priyat Chaim says, is the lavush that protects reality, divine reality, from external parasites, from viruses, spiritual viruses. In holiness, you don't need a shoe. In unholiness, you need shoes. If I would be in a very pristine reality, I don't need shoes. But when you're in a dysfunctional place, you must have shoes. And what are shoes? He says, shoes are mitzvahs maisius. It's behavior. It's literal the way you behave, notwithstanding where your head is, where your heart is, where your sensations are. It's actual behavior. It's behaving in a certain way, in a very physical, practical, practical way. Finally, I'll take one last comment. Recognizing one's own inadequacy of practice, of practices, is always easier to ignore the root of the problem and just treat the symptoms. How to best self-manage when you don't always listen to yourself. This is not, he's not saying not to listen to yourself. You should listen to yourself. You should be aware of everything in yourself. But don't become a victim of it. Call a spade a spade. If there's a disease in me, I have to call it a disease. The worst thing in life is when the disease becomes health. Let me give a practical example from a virus. You know what the problem of a virus is? Not the virus. We have all the protective gear against virus. You know what the problem is? Problem is that the host cell thinks the virus is a friend and it opens up the door and the virus, the virus protein comes in and then you know what it does? It abducts the healthy cell and it replicates itself by the millions. It's crazy stuff. That's the problem. The problem is not that I have parasites. The problem is that my parasites make themselves my best friends. And when they make themselves my best friends, now I become a victim of it. So be aware of yourself. But don't allow, don't allow the disease to become the healthy element. Reb Moshe, Yidin Davim with shoes. Muslims take over their shoes. Koyanim take over their shoes by Berchus Koyanim. And in the Beis HaMikdash, Koyanim also had to go barefoot. That's why they had a Beis HaMikdash, a fire to be able to warm them up. I want to invite everybody today at 4, we're going to have a special children's program. Today, Thursday, 4 p.m., if you're a child at heart, you can join. If not, just send your children to the show, to the program, or grandchildren. That's today, 4 o'clock sharp, at theyeshiva.net. Everybody is invited. We're going to have meditation, questions and answers, riddles, stories. The children ask all their questions. If your child has any questions, they can text them to the same number, 845-777-4747, even before the program. And I hope to see many of them, or actually, I hope to speak to many of them. I won't see them. Tomorrow morning, we will also have a shear, God willing. I hope to finish the Mimer. And now we're going to go on to Gemara. Everybody have a beautiful day. I love you. I bless you. And stay healthy. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.